All right, what's going on? Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, just having a little chat with producer Dom uh, off air there. I was wrong. I was plugging our guest, Corey Lavalette from the North State Journal. That's on me. Corey will join us at 1 o'clock, not in this segment. I uh, Again, 100% my fault. I'm taking accountability here. Uh, it is at 1 o'clock, in fact, not in this segment. So uh, we'll have an open segment here. We'll hear from Coach Rick Tockett at some point, and we'll connect with Corey at 1. And then, of course, at 1.30, Yannick Hansen joins the show. Early game, which means no people show. Uh, so we get to chat with Yannick. Always a pleasure when that happens. You can text in 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And uh, just before we get to the uh, the Rick Talkin audio from today, Drancer, have time to take a couple of questions from the inbox. Tyler texts in, am I dreaming too big for the Flames to limp into the playoffs for the chance for the Canucks <laughs> to have the chances of going Flames, Oilers, Jets? And then he says, also the Leafs would miss the playoffs. But if you're going all Canada, the all Canada sweep, don't you want it to be the Leafs? Wouldn't that be the sweetest victory in the Stanley Cup final taking on the Leafs? Uh, but I get you also don't want to risk them actually winning anything. Uh, I don't know. The Flames, the thing is, they sold Lindholm. I know they got Kuzmenko back. It sounds like the writing is on the wall for Chris Tanev, maybe Noah Hannafin as well. Look, the Western Conference and that that final playoff spot race is pretty dismal all around, but I don't think the Flames have the juice to hold on in that race long term. I, I agree with you, but, oh, man, Flames finding like some lightning in a bottle and it's like Markstrom, Kuzmenko oh, versus man. the Canucks in the first round. I mean, don't don't tempt fate here. <laughs> it would be pretty you know, great. That's 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 a tough one. No, it would be fun. I think that would be fun. I it would know. be fun. Like sure. I get the storylines, the all Canada matchup and then look, you go look, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here. I understand that, but uh, you, go, <laughs> you go Flames Oilers <laughs> round 1 and 2. Let's go. I'd, that would be fantastic. Uh, yeah, somebody uh, texts in, OMG, the Kuzmenko revenge story. It would be great. <laughs> there would be, be no shortage of storylines. Uh, Kuzmenko I, just spinning up a storm right in front of Rick Tockett on the Canucks bench. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I, I think um, selfishly, I, I'd rather it be Seattle. Easy to get to. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, look, there's lots of. There's lots of fun storylines, and, and in some ways, the most fun place to be is to imagine, you know, which of like five possible opponents could yep. be Vancouver's in the first round, but they've got a lot of winning that they're going to have to keep doing yep. uh, to get For there. that to be the case, for it not yep. just to be, you know, Team X from the Pacific Division, possibly uh, the LA yeah. Kings. This one comes in from Chet in Burnaby. How many goals would Lindholm have to score over the rest of the season for you to feel comfortable with his offensive game? How many to make you excited by it? That's from Chet in mm. Burnaby. And that's an interesting question. You know, we were talking about, look, there's this kind of baseline improvement you get from Lindholm with his defensive capabilities, you know, his versatility, all of that. But for this to really feel like a home run cut, like something that absolutely worked out, you need to see some of that offensive spark and that finishing in particular uh, from his game. Now, it is tough to put an exact number on it, right? Because you never know. Like, guys go through cold shooting 
uh, shooting slumps, all that. He could be generating a lot and getting lots of chances, but not getting the bounces. But, you know, they've got 33 games left here. Can he get 10 goals in that time? You know, he's going to be on power play one. He's going to be playing with Elias Pettersson. He's probably going to get his opportunities. That seems like a, a reasonable starting point or a reasonable expectation to me. Uh, yeah, 10 goals in 33 games is what, like a 28-goal, 27-goal pace? I think that's yep. a perfectly reasonable expectation uh, to have for Lindholm. You know, can I spin this at you a little bit, Jamie? Please you know do. How I, remember how I used to be obsessed with talking about and making sure to factor in like the high upside, the low upside, the two skinny bits yes. of the bell curves scenarios? So what... Can I ask you, make the bull and the bear case on Lindholm, and I promise I'm going somewhere with this. Okay, so like the high end, just in terms of goal scoring? Well, no, in terms of like, what does it look like? Narrative, okay, full picture, holistic look. What does so, it look like for this to massively exceed and to massively um, like fail to meet your expectations? Okay, so I'll start with the high, like the the home run scenario, you know, 99th percentile yep. of it working out. I think a big part of that is obviously he gets hot scoring goals, helps power play mm -hmm. one, is involved in power play one in their success in some way. So he gets that individual production. And I think another huge part of it, honestly, is if him and Patterson establish themselves as the matchup duo. Right. And if you get to the playoffs and into the playoffs and they're going out there against the other team's best lines and he's producing at a high clip. Right. Like then you're going to be looking at this and saying, wow, this completely changed the complexion of the Canucks season. You know what I mean? You added this guy who's putting in goals, who has this chemistry with Patterson. And all of a sudden you have this matchup unit. And I don't think that's out of the question. Right. That him and Patterson can establish themselves as that kind of workhorse two way duo. I don't think that's out of the question at all. But to me, you marry that with really good offensive production and probably in particular on the power play helping that unit that's probably like the best best case scenario to me and in you know the worst case i think is if him and petterson don't click and you have to go to a different configuration and let's say it's you know he's centering the second line you put the lotto line back together but you're not getting anything from that second line, right? And it's like Lindholm, Mikheyev, Suter, and, you know, it's going out there and maybe it's holding serve, but it's not giving you a ton of production. His numbers dip, and he, he doesn't end up being that running mate, being that kind of fourth star player or high-level player uh, for the guys you already have in the top six. Yeah, okay, I, I like how you've formulated this. The only thing I'd add is his penalty killing, I mm. think, needs to be factored in, and, and it needs to be factored in to the upside case, because I still think that's the area where, you know, understanding that this team entered the break on their best shorthanded run of the season, you know, uh, they were getting 930 plus goaltending uh, driving mm -hmm. that stretch. The underlying stuff was still, you know, all pointing to a team that was significantly improved on, on the PK, but still is probably closer to league average than the way they performed over the last like three and a half weeks where they've been really, really good lights out. So, Lindholm stepping in there and bringing the Canucks from like average to above average, you know, fringe top 10. Yep. I think that's the sort of thing that matters, especially because, you know, my, my theory and sort of handicapping playoff series is um, unless there's a massive mismatch, what, what I think really matters is do you have the one unit, whether it's your shorthanded or, or power play unit that can most impact the series, mm. you know? And and the Canucks just making sure that they're at a level on the PK that another team's power play, specifically Edmonton, right, Does isn't the unit that shapes that series. I think that's the level that Lindholm can help them get to. 
in, in asking you this question, I think you nailed it. Like, I think your focus, too, on how much Lindholm helps the top six drive yeah. is, is exactly right, right? I think that's where this becomes, you know, either a home run or, or something uh, murkier or, or something that didn't Something work. disappointing, yeah. Yeah, but no matter what, one of the reasons I like this trade for the Canucks is that the floor is that at the very least the Canucks have added, like, a reliable middle six center mm-hmm. who wins a ton of draws and, and is going to be a fixture on your penalty kill, right? Well, like, no matter what else happens, yeah. there's a certain floor that they've purchased with this addition that I, I still think is helpful, especially when you consider, like, the price the Winnipeg Jets paid for Sean Monaghan, right? A deal that's been sticking in my craw in terms of, like, why, why am I so skeptical about that Jets trade and the price they paid? And I think the main reason is I can understand how Lindholm helps this team regardless of whether or not he, he gets hot and scores, you know, 10-plus goals over the balance and, you know, it is something that adds, like, real nitrous to the Canucks' top six. Whether that all happens or not, I know there's a floor level of contribution that he'll bring that's going to help this team in a way that I think with an older player with a deeper injury track record who doesn't have the same, you know, defensive or PK bona fides, like, I, I don't feel like the Winnipeg purchased that. Mm-hmm. And it makes me nervous to pay a big rental price for a guy who doesn't have the floor Luckily, Lindholm, for, for the, from a Canucks perspective, absolutely does. Well, even in the worst-case scenario is spelling out. It's like, okay, you, let's say you end up with a, you know, quote-unquote second line of Lindholm, Mikheyev, and Suter, and look, maybe there's not a lot of offensive spark and creativity on that line, but it's something that you're not worried about, like, getting caught out against good players either, right? Like, you still have this mm-hmm. kind of baseline, like, okay, well, at least they're reliable. At least we feel like we can put them out there in pretty much any situation line, even if it doesn't have that high-end offensive upside. And, you know, again, that's one of the worst-case scenarios is you just have another guy the coach can rely on here, even if he doesn't elevate the other star players. And, you know, somebody texted in here, uh, this deal is tied to the team's success, not Lindholm's production. If the Canucks win the Cup and Lindholm only has one point. It's a great deal. Uh, if the Canucks lose in the first round and Lindholm is the leading scorer on the team from now until then, it'll be a bad deal. I agree with the first part of that. Like, obviously, look, if the Canucks win the cup, it doesn't matter what Lindholm does. You don't, there's no concerns about the trade. You won the cup. Nothing matters. You won the cup, right? So it's all good. I don't think yep. it's fair to say he, there if the team loses in disappointing fashion that it was inherently a bad deal, right? Like, if he's playing well and he's helping the team, but some other weird thing happens and the team loses, yeah, it's disappointing that you lost in the first round and you had to give up good assets to to get that player. Of course it's disappointing, but it doesn't make it a bad trade. And I think this is what Jim Rutherford was talking about. Yeah, there's risks. You have to be aware of the risks going in. You have to embrace them because they're always going to be there. But you can't let it stop you from making a trade. So, I, look, if you win, yes, it doesn't really matter what he's doing. But if he's playing well and the team still loses, I, I don't hang that on the Lindholm trade. I don't let that. I wouldn't let that color my was it a good deal or not judgment. Yeah, no, that's just hockey. Yeah, <laughs> that's just hockey. I don't know what else to say about it. Yeah, sometimes you lose. Sometimes you <laughs> you, you make trades and you lose in the first round. Um, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can keep your thoughts coming in. Uh, let's hear from Canucks head coach Rick Tockett, who spoke to the media after an optional morning skate today down in Carolina. Probably feeling throughout the group pretty excited to get back out there and get things going. Yeah, you know, I think hockey players, would, you know, you want to break, but then when you do, you want to play hockey. So I feel that... I think guys were, you know, they enjoyed the break, but you can tell guys are antsy to play again. So uh, that's a good thing for us. 
How do you manage making sure they stay even keeled as you talk about, especially when there's anticipation and they're excited to get back out? Yeah, it's kind of like opening day of uh, the first game of the year. It, a little bit of a feeling because, you know, you can't worry about the one game. Uh, it's the same thing, you know, everybody always, after opening night, overanalyzes things. So it's tonight the same thing. We just got to worry about the first period. Um, you know, we have a five-game road trip. Um, you know, we made the trade. There's a lot of things that, you know, coming off the All-Star break, I think you just got to think simple, and that's the first period for me. You told us, I think you told us once, that sometimes you notice a difference in sharpness even after just a day off. Even if the guys have been playing, they have a day off, maybe they come back then in the morning, they're not as sharp. What do you notice after this long, long break? Is it, are they sharper than you thought they'd be, or is, can you see things are a little rough? Well, I remember last year we just had that pre late practice, and we had to play the next night, and we actually had a half decent game against Jersey. We lost in overtime. Um, I find with this team, you know, when we have a long activity of practice, we get a little bit sloppy. It was that was last year? This year, I find we get to our game a lot quicker. Um, and I thought our last two practices were pretty good, like for for a team that's been off for eight days. Um, a lot of moving parts has happened the last eight days. It, it, it was, I want to say, I don't want to say like I was impressed. I just really thought I like the workman attitude of the players, um, and hopefully we can carry it tonight. The guys um, heeded your call last fall to report early and get a lot of skates in before training camp. I know you also asked them to stay active during the break. Uh, as far as you know, did guys? Did all the guys skate? Did they stay active? I, I, I honestly, I try not to ask because that's, you know, I, I've made it like sometimes you have to be a self-starter and, and be your own man. And it, I just didn't feel it was my, you know, I don't want to be that guy who skated and what the, you know, they know the stakes are high for this team. Discipline is hard to do and uh, nobody likes it. And I think I said it yesterday, but you got to love to do it. And that's part of this, this break and that's part of the, like going out here the next 30 games we have to have a lot of discipline in this team if we want to be a special team there's a long way to go so hopefully uh the guys did the right things i i, I just from two practices i think they did you know there's a couple of guys who were a little bit tired out there but you know that doesn't mean they didn't do anything it's it could be just whatever so i don't read into it uh we'll know in the next week if uh you know how our team responds after that week break Going into the break, the power play started clicking again, scoring more goals. What is it that Elias Lindholm brings, and what do you hope to see from him on the power play? Yeah, I watched some video of them yesterday. Uh, me and Footy were just looking at it in Yozy, and uh, a lot of good down low plays, <clears throat> you know, coming up with loose pucks, goals around the net. Um, I think he can play the bumper position, which, so I think that's something what we need, a guy that can play down low, play the net front, but also can play the bumper. Um, and he has an attack mentality, and I think that's why we've been better the last three, four games is because we've beaten pressure. We've, if you look at the goals, the, the Toronto and uh, you know uh, against Columbus, um, they were attack goals. It wasn't tic tac toe. It wasn't, you know, looking for plays. It was looking beating pressure and taking pucks to the net. And I think that's the type of goals you need, especially in crunch time. How much does his veteran presence weigh into his ability to kind of jump in and adjust on the fly here? With not much notice. Well, it's funny because we were showing him some system stuff. We do. We asked him about Calgary stuff, and you can tell, you know, yeah, I can adjust. I can, like, he, there's not a lot of panic in his voice. Yep, I got it. You know, we, you know, we do this. You, you know, he's used to that. No, that's fine. I know what I'm doing on this play. Like he knows, you know, 
where he's supposed to be. I was the 800 games. I mean, the guy, the guy knows how to play. So, uh, and, his, and one of his attributes is hockey IQ is, is very high. That is Rick Tockett speaking to reporters before the game today down in Carolina. He knows how to play 800 games. There's the review from Rick Tockett on Elias Lindholm. Yeah, not concerned uh, necessarily about him fitting in right away. And some interesting, you know, we were talking about the power play earlier in the show. Uh, and, you know, Tockett, again, focused on that attack mentality and saying he likes some of the things he's seen on tape from Lindholm in that regard from his time in Calgary. And as much as, you know, we were talking about, okay, Miller playing the bumper, he also, Tockett also acknowledges there that's something that Lindholm can do as well. So I do think we're going to see a lot of that fluidity, a lot of that changing places if, you know, if they get some man advantage chances tonight in Carolina. For sure. Uh, you could tell, too, that was a heavy point of emphasis, emphasis even as they were just working on it for yeah. 15 minutes at the tail end of practice yesterday. Like, the uh, the the audible, like, you know, Mario Kart character passing an opponent in a race, um, the audible excitement from Rick Tockett <laughs> uh, when they had that movement was, you know, the, the, the like, the, one of the main takeaways um, from practice. So, yeah, no, and... You know, it, it was interesting, too, to hear talk yesterday talk about the team getting a lot of publicity now, right? The idea that yep. what, what comes into conflict now is, like, eyes on the prize, right? Which is ultimately still to be determined, right? There there are meaningful consequences to the to the remainder of these games. But, but you know, this team's earned, like, a shot to play a stretch run that should be fun. I mean, you, you think about what stretch runs look like in this time of the year feels like uh, in years where, you know, it's going to mean very little where it's like, what college free agents are mm-hmm. they going to pursue? And, you know, to, to instead have all these measuring stick games and, and divisional seating stakes. And I mean, that's going to be a ton of fun. And then, you know, we're, we're hearing it from talking every time he talks, right? Like managing the attention, managing our expectations, knowing we still have to work for it day by day. Interested in the first period tonight more than anything. Can't read into it. It's like a debut. Um, you know, that's that's sort of a, an interesting conflict to watch him manage. I, I feel like it's been weighing on him in most of his commentary the last couple of days. Well, and to your point about the stretch run, having a chance to really matter, right? And I, I think back to when the schedule was released and, you know, you're looking through it, you're looking for the highlights, the shape of the season, all that. And boom, there's this nine-game homestand in March, right? That starts on March 9th yeah. against the Winnipeg Jets. And I think, I don't, from my perspective, it's just like, just make those games count. Make those games matter. You know what I mean? Because it has a chance to be really cool, a nine-game <laughs> homestand, if they actually matter. Or, as you point out, if we're talking about the draft and, and college-free agents, it could be a bit of a downer, too. It could be a really but kind of a bummer way to, to get into the last part of the season. Well, guess what? Like, they matter in a big way. And you look at, as I said, look, that, that nine-game homestand in March starts with a game against the Jets. You've got Colorado in there. You've got Dallas. You've got L.A. You've got this, like, three-week stretch of home games for a team that, you know, barring a, an absolute collapse of some sort in the next month, is going to be in the running for the first place in the Western Conference, playing against, you know, some lesser teams, certainly, but also some really good teams, some potential playoff opponents, teams they're jockeying for. That was not guaranteed, obviously, at the beginning of the year. It wasn't guaranteed those games would be relevant at all. And now, I mean, that's looking like it could be an absolute blast for hockey fans here in Vancouver to have that big stretch of hockey of really, really important games for this team. For sure. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, 
the yeah and the, the the tonight too like right a, right away right and and I think that back to back this weekend mm. um you know this first four games is sneaky challenging I think uh, especially because that Capitals team you know you you just don't know what you're gonna get it's the second day of a a second leg of a back to back like that's a real wild card game. But, you know, Detroit's a really good rush scoring team. We've seen that profile trouble the Canucks. We know what Boston is. I mean, the fact that Boston's going into or Vancouver's going to go into Boston to play potentially for first place in the NHL, like, that's amazing. So good. Um, you know, it, 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 it's going to come fast and furious and it starts right off the hop. Like, it starts tonight. Um, you know, it feels, it feels exciting. It feels exciting in a different way, even just thinking about gearing up to cover that game tonight. Uh, feels much more exciting than anything since the bubble, for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, somebody texted him. We were having the discussion about, you know, what qualifies as a success for the Lindholm trade, you know, high end, low end, all of that. Mike texts in, anything less than reaching the finals will be considered a bust for the Canucks. <laughs> Woo! Let's go. Mike is. Mike is raising the bar. I'm Let's not quite go. I'm not quite ready to go there, Mike, but uh, hey. Hey, look, I can't we 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 used to complain about low standards, so I'm not going to turn around and complain about high standards just yet. As somebody else texts in, uh, we've circled back to meaningful games in March, but in a whole new way. LOL. Yeah, yes. the really meaningful games. The really meaningful games in March. We're actually going to get them in Vancouver at Rogers Arena. It's going to be so so good, man. It's going to be incredible. Slightly more meaningful than some of the original meaningful games in March. Meaningful games in March that we're not going to make fun of. That's that's really the bar we're going to hit. <laughs> that everyone buys into. That we're not we're not trying to convince ourselves. It's not just like an affirmation we're doing in the mirror in the morning, trying to convince ourselves that it's true. They are actually objectively meaningful games uh, in March that the Canucks are going to play. It is a Canucks game day as they start their all post All Star break portion of the season. Thirty three games to go in the regular season. They'll play the first of those tonight in Carolina against the Hurricanes, uh, and we will talk for real this time. We're going to get them on the phone in the next segment. For real, Corey Lavalette from the North State Journal joins us next to talk Hurricanes here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Thomas Trance here. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five star Google reviews. Sore feet. What are you waiting for? The hotline is brought to you by Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. The first call, the only call, and it is, of course, Canucks game day. They're in Carolina to play the Hurricanes, and so we now go to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning hotline uh, where we are joined by Corey Lavalette. He covers the Hurricanes for the North State Journal. Corey, thank you for making time for us today. How are you? 
I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it's our pleasure. So we were talking about it a little bit earlier in the show. These two teams met uh, in Vancouver in December. Canucks win, and at that point, I believe the the Hurricanes' record was, I think, 14-12-1, you know, right around NHL 500, not where we're accustomed to seeing the Hurricanes. Since then, they've been one of the best teams in the NHL, right back to kind of those Hurricanes we are used to seeing. What's changed since the last time these two teams met for the Hurricanes? Yeah, I mean, I think Vancouver saw the Hurricanes at their worst uh, when they met that that little uh, uh, Western Canada road trip that the Hurricanes had where they lost all those games uh, was probably the low point, I think, of the season. Uh, obviously, major issues in goal to start the year from uh, from Frederick Anderson going down with uh, what's now been diagnosed as deep vein thrombosis. Uh, to Antti Ranta really, really struggling, and Pyotr Kachekov suffering uh, a concussion a few weeks back. Uh, it's all it's been a little uh, a little crazy in goal, but things seem to be pointed in the right direction there. And I think, uh, in, in my opinion, it's so much about confidence. As long as you believe your goalies are going to make saves, you're going to play mm. better in front of them. And the Hurricanes collectively right now are playing really, really well in front of their goalies, and it's shown in the. You know the shot suppression lately, where they're they're usually not even allowing twenty shots a game. Uh, you mentioned you know the the various struggles of the different goaltenders. I think I saw that it was going to be Kachetkov uh, in that tonight against the Canucks. Is is he going to be their their guy down the stretch here and into the playoffs, or is there still questions about who's going to get the, the the bulk of the work? Yeah, you know, I asked Rod about that uh, yesterday or the day before. Um, just you know, if he would prefer to have a guy, or if he uh, if he would be happy rotating around. You know, obviously they've got Kachekov and Ranta, and then Spencer Martin's still here. Yeah, he had one good start in Boston and one, uh, and then Anderson's back on the ice. So there's the the wild card in the whole thing. He says he wants you know every every coach wants a guy to run with it, and I think Kachekov is the best candidate. For that, uh, Ranta has shown maybe uh, being a number one goalie is a little bit too much of a grind for him uh, at this point in his career. So I think, you know, Kachetkov is the is the you know prime candidate to do that. I think, uh, you know, the, the team loves playing in front of him. He's a fiery guy. He's fun to watch. Uh, and then you know you have Anderson too, who you know was hurt much of last year but played so well in the playoffs. Um, and if he can come back too, you know, you have you know, one of the steadier goalies in the league uh, as long as he stays healthy. The Carolina Hurricanes have been aggressive at times, but we definitely haven't really seen them by rentals at the trade deadline with a contending team over the past three years or so. Given how many expiring contracts are on the books for this club, is there a sense of urgency for the fan base? Could it be reflected in how the team approaches things before March 8th? I think a lot of fans have that feeling that this is a, a closing window. I don't think the front office feels that way. I think they feel, mm. um, you know, they're, they certainly have, uh, have done a good job collecting assets, whether that's draft picks or and, and holding onto those picks or um, doing well drafting. Uh, so they have a lot of talent that they feel like is, you know, something they can use to acquire players. Uh, and, and cap space is still king in the NHL, and the Hurricanes have managed to, uh, outside of last year when kind of everything, you know, went a little wrong with Jake Gardner and, and Anderson and everything, uh, they've been able to stay under the cap and be one of the few contending teams that can actually, you know, 
bank cap space and, and, you know, do things that help them, you know, attain assets that maybe other teams can't, you know, I, I think Vancouver benefited from that in, in their deal with, you know, being able to get Kuzmenko off the books is a huge deal when you bring in, when you bring in Lindholm. So um, I, I don't think that they're not, the mindset of the front office is not to, to go in and go crazy on rentals. Now, certainly, you know, in the past, they've done things like, you know, Shane Goss despair and, and Jesse Pugliarvi and, and Max Domi to, you know, mm-hmm. varying kinds of uh, success, I guess. Um, but, you know, I think that they are open to making a deal for somebody with term. And they did that a few years ago when they got uh, both Brady Shea and Vincent Trocek at the deadline. They added two guys with with years left on their deal. But the, the question is, you look around the league and who's selling and who has guys that you really want right now. And that makes, uh, you know, I think that's what made the rental market, you know, already seem like it's pretty, it's pretty high priced. What for the fan base that feels like this year should be a little bit urgent? What what's the priority? What what would they most like to see the team add? Um, is it sort of finishing talent up front, or is it a goaltender? I, I don't think. I mean, I, I think there was a, a moment there where uh, a lot of fans thought they should go get a goaltender, and I think the Hurricanes were were pretty resolute in the fact that you know they knew they had the talent here to. Mm-hmm. you know, do well in goal. It was just a matter of, you know, circumstances working out in their way. So I, I don't think there's going to be anything in that realm. Um, you know, injuries can change that. You know, if if there's a hiccup with Anderson's recovery or um, Rantos struggles again or, or something weird happens, there, you know, there's there's options out there, but I don't see them being a player for one of those, you know, guys who has two or three or, or four years left at, at $5 million. That's just not the front office's MO to do that. Um, the other big question, of course, is that is it center where maybe they're not as deep um, as they want to be. Uh, a lot of that has to do with yes, Perry Kokanyemi maybe um, you know getting back in, in, in a groove here. He's he's kind of he's had an up and down. There's times where he looks great and he looks like a, a second line center, and there's other times where he he gets lost a little bit. And right now, I think he's in one of those lulls. But um, picked it up a little bit in the in the week leading up to to the all-star break uh jack burry has actually played really really well and uh they're, they're a team that's more driven by their wingers than by their their centers anyway i think and and jordan stall is what jordan stall is and you know the canucks will, uh whoever rod decides to to deploy uh jordan stall against they'll get against they'll get a, a whole mouthful of him tonight <laughs> so he's always a hand He's always a handful with what he does. So I, I think fans looked and they saw a guy like Elias Lindholm that they were familiar with, and they said, oh, there's the perfect guy to go get. Rod Brindamore knows him and likes him. And even though they, the team traded him away, you know, Rod's always spoken highly of him. Um, but to my point earlier, it's not really in their DNA to go in and spend big on rentals. And, uh, you know, that price might have – even though I thought the Canucks did very, very well in that deal um, – you know, the price may be a little too high for, for Carolina's blood. Yeah, I think there were a lot of fan bases that looked at Lindholm, giving, you know, right shot center, not making that much money. A lot of people looked at him as a good fit uh, for various teams. You know, you were, Drance brought up the uh, the pending UFAs and, and pending restricted free agents as well that the Hurricanes have going into the summer. You know, two stand out to me in Brett Pesci and Brady Shea, who have been, you know, such workhorses on the blue line uh, for that team. And, 
Carolina, it's always fascinating to track what they're going to do with their personnel because they have that kind of unorthodox approach. Do you think we see one, both, neither of them back beyond this year with Carolina? It's hard to see. It's certainly hard to see both of them back. I think Brady Shea has really just blossomed into a a great two-way defenseman. And, you know, he's he's kind of earned a big payday, and it's just – you know, we saw it with Dougie Hamilton when he when he left. It's just not something that the Hurricanes are, um, you know, probably going to be able to chalk up a big amount of money for him. When you look at, you know, that they probably are going to keep Jacob Slavin after his contract comes up after next year, and then you've got the guy that I think might be the best, you know, player not playing in in North America right now, and Alexander Nikishin, another lefty. Um, who you know can come in in two years, and you still have Dmitry Orlov for another year. So all all of a sudden, you know, on the left side, it, does it make a lot of sense to to spend you know what's probably eight million dollars, you know, maybe or you know in that range long term on a guy who's you know at best your second left-handed defenseman? Um, Brett Pesci, I think maybe uh, maybe he gets pinched a little in the market. I could see that happening as a guy who's um, approaching 30, doesn't have a whole lot of offensive uh, offense to his game. And I could see a situation where if the Hurricanes can talk him into, you know, either a, a shorter deal on a, a little bit bigger money or a longer deal at less money that maybe they could, you know, maybe talk him into, into staying. But uh, it'll be curious to see what the market is with him and with the cap going up. I just think, you know, teams are going to, even though it's not a huge jump in the cap, teams are going to start salivating over uh, spending that money again. So it's very possible that, you know, both those guys are gone and that's tough, you know, and, and Jake, uh, Jalen Chatfield, who, who I'm sure you all are familiar yep. with, and uh, is probably somebody that, you know, Vancouver wishes they still had. He's a, developed into a really nice third pairing defenseman. Uh, he's a free agent too. I know they've had, you know, negotiations with him and would like to get something done with him. And, uh, you know, like I said, they'll have Orloff again next year. So uh, it's not like they're going to be barren on defense, but, but you're right. I mean, Shea and Pesci play together almost more than any pairing in the league. And um, if I, if I was a team that didn't have um, a, a good defense and was, and was desperate to, to spend money on defense, I, I don't know that I wouldn't, call them both up for dinner and say, Hey, how about both you guys come <laughs> and come and come play for me? Because, um, you know, they read off each other so well and they're both good. Uh, Brady Shea is, uh, one of the nicest guys in the NHL, in my opinion, Brett Pesci's a great locker room guy too. So it's like, you, you can't really go wrong. The the question is, you know, with the hurricanes and we know how Eric Tulski thinks, uh, with mm-hmm. age curves and things like that and how that, that trickles up to, to Don Waddell. Um, you know, spending money on 30 year old guys for eight years is not what this team does. So uh, it's, it'll be interesting. Uh, we would certainly, I think the writers would be sad to see those guys go because they're both really good guys, good guys to talk to. Well, given that, you know, as you said, look, the front office doesn't necessarily see this window closing and we know they're reluctant to play, pl- pay players at the age of, of Shea and Pesci. I mean, it, like, is there any chance there could be a surprise exit for one of those players pre-deadline if they decide, look, we're going to lose them in unrestricted free agency. Let's try to capitalize uh, ahead of the deadline here. I know it's odd to be asking that question because they're expected to go on a deep run. But, you know, with Carolina, I, I, I feel like you kind of never know if they're going to throw a curveball like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't 100% rule it out. And I mean, they certainly shopped around before the season, you know, maybe seeing if they could, you know, find a deal for 
you know, find somewhere where Brett Pesci fit in and he could negotiate a deal that made sense for him on a long-term contract, similar to what they did, you know, uh, after Rod Brendamore's first year when Justin Falk had a year left on his deal and, and they knew that um, talks between the two sides were not going to materialize in a long-term deal. And, I mean, you look back on it, and is, is that the right move for Carolina? Probably. I mean, I, I don't mm. think Justin Falk's been bad for the, for the Blues, um, but he, I, I don't think he's necessarily played up to the contract that uh, that he got, and he still has some time left on it too. Um, so yeah, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily see that. Now, I could certainly see them using somebody like Martin Natchez, who's going to be an RFA that maybe they're not ready to to give big money to. If something big could shake loose, we know he was part of the the offer for Matthew Kachuk a couple of years ago. Uh, if they could shake somebody big loose for him. I wouldn't be surprised if they used him, um, but that may be more of an off-season thing. I, the guy that, that just screams hurricanes to me is Travis Konechny, but with how well Philadelphia's played and everything, I just and, and, and it sounds like now they want to re-sign him too. But yeah. uh, he was a guy that perfectly fit what Carolina likes, a guy with a couple years left on his deal who uh, is a hard-working guy and, and just a real, real talent. And I think Rod Brendamore would love having a guy like that, but uh, that, that, seemed, that window seems to have closed. Yeah, we were kicking Travis Konechny's name around, too, before they got Lindholm. I think someone Rick Tockett would love having on the team as well. Corey, thanks for doing this. Thanks for your insight. Appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight. Anytime. Thanks, guys. That is Corey Lavalette covering the Hurricanes for the North State Journal in Carolina. I was I was trying to drum up the uh, the Brett Pesci on the market for the Canucks market there, Trance. I was doing my best to speak it <laughs> speak it into existence, connecting the dots, right? As we say to hey, maybe maybe there's a chance that he's unexpectedly on the market. Yeah, and that would be you know, that would be a tremendous opportunity. You know? That, it would. I still think I still think it's the name that we haven't heard of. You know, like that's still the trade that um, I, I know that's high concept, but just in terms of like those unique opportunities that you can't always tell uh, when they're coming around mm-hmm. the corner. We saw the Canucks seize one with Heronic, so it, it's not exactly outside, um, you know, this aggressive front office's MO. But, nope. you know, the, the long-term piece you don't expect to move yet, I, I still feel like is going to be the, you know, biggest, the, the most impactful actual deal we see ahead of March 8th. Very exciting. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Yannick Hansen's going to join us in the final segment of the show. Always a blast to have Yannick on. Uh, before that, we have a chance to dive in a little bit more into the inbox, though, as well. Uh, this texter says, first of all, Thomas, I love your dedication to being a menace. I feel like you've yeah, been fair. you've been in your at your least menacing recently though but uh, that's nice that, that the uh, texter enjoys it uh, he goes on to say how can hoaglander make power play too why won't they give him a chance at this point given how successful he's been scoring goals at five on five i feel like it almost has to be a case of this is a young player who we're still trying to get to exactly the player we want him to be at the nhl level so while he's playing le- well, let's not change anything, right? Like, we've got him in this spot where everything's going well. Let's not give him more responsibility. Let's not ask anything more uh, more of him. Let's just let him thrive in this specific role as long as he's thriving in it. But I could be completely off base. Maybe there is something about his game that they don't think would, uh, would transfer to the power play. But it is notable. Like, when Sam Lafferty is getting those options, basically everybody on the roster has gotten a shot in power play, too, except for Neil Zaman and Niels Hoaglander. And so it does make you wonder. 
It does. It does. It's an interesting point. I think you're probably on to something, you know, especially because, <coughs> excuse me, I do think this team wants their, wants, like, I do think there's still details in the play away from the puck that the team mm-hmm. wants Hoaglander to level up on. And it might just be as simple as that should be your focus. Anything that right. takes away from that is counterproductive. You know, you've got the skill. If you can figure this out, you're going to play higher up the lineup and get power play time. So let's figure that out um, first as, as like a first priority. That would make sense to me. But yeah, I, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit odd given that the second power play unit hasn't been super productive in its own right. Yeah. And it's also like I can buy the and look. This coaching staff has more than earned the benefit of the doubt in terms of player, how they're using players, how they're developing players, all of that. Power play duo doesn't even play that much, though, right? You know what I mean? So it's like it's not like it's adding that much more to Niels Hoaglander's plate. Now, maybe it is something to think about in practice and in morning skate where you want the focus all on those details, as you say. But I don't know. I think at some point, if you are – Look, I get power play two is always kind of a back burner issue because power play one is going to be out there so much. But, you know, as we get into the games that really, really count, you got to do everything you can to maximize your chances. And I wonder if that does include giving Hoaglander that chance and, and, you know, giving him that kind of reward for having a good season uh, at some point as well. Jay in Vancouver texts in here. And we this is a name that comes up a lot. So I'll read this text from Jay in Vancouver, at least in the inbox, I should say. Uh, he says, what are your thoughts on Phil Kessel? Still training, hoping uh, to latch on with a team deeply connected to Tockett and management. Any chance Canucks bring him in as a close to end of season as possible to March 8th at league minimum. So it's a prorated cap hit. He says possible insurance for injuries in top six. Veteran with three cups can seamlessly fit into the dressing room in a stabilizing voice. Even if he only plays in a handful of playoff games could he be an ace in the hole for the playoffs that's from jay in vancouver look there's a lot of reasons he laid out there that make sense right with the connections to talk it and management obviously the success they enjoyed in pittsburgh he was just a part of vegas although he didn't play much uh for them in their in their stanley cup winning campaign it just doesn't fit the mold of what I see this team trying to build and what they're prioritizing, right? I mean, they just traded a kind of offense-only guy for the really defensively responsible Elias Lindholm, right? So, yeah, okay, if you're talking just about he's kind of break glass in case of emergency, if we need to add someone in the top six and we don't have any other options, other than that, he's going to be a healthy scratch, okay. But, you know, your opportunities are so limited here. Your cap space, your ability to do different things is so limited I don't see the fit. Despite all those connections, despite all those accomplishments and all of that, it just doesn't seem like a fit for the identity this Canucks team is trying to build. Yeah, and a little bit of bookkeeping. I'm pretty sure if a player is not on your active roster at the trade deadline, they can't play for you in the playoffs unless they're previously on your reserve list. So uh, you'd have to sign him before the deadline. Yeah, and he did. Uh, for Jay did say that. He said option. sign him as possible to March 8th, as close oh, as possible. Oh, okay, excuse yeah. me. I heard April 8th. Sorry. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it. Like, I just don't know. I don't know how this, especially on a team where you've got Hoaglander and Garland playing in the bottom six. It's not like mm. it's not like we're talking about this team needing depth offensive punch. Yeah. You know, it's it's specifically like guys to help drive or to be those uh, Amadio types, those worker B types, those glue guys. 
um, you know, ideally a little further up the lineup. You're almost looking for those like heavy press guys that can complement, you know, two of your best duos now. Um, to me, that feels like the need as opposed to depth offense. So I just don't see the fit. Yeah, the the example of the New York Rangers last year going out and adding Patrick Kane and Vladimir Tarasenko, where it's just like that's just not what they needed. You know what I mean? No. Was there like that that looms really large for me in thinking about what the what the Canucks could do. And you know, you're saying like it's the name we haven't even heard of out there who could be a long term option. But I just think in general, probably at this point, we're not talking about name value players. Like Phil Kessel is a name value player for obvious reasons, and you look at his career and you understand why he had a phenomenal career. It was a huge huge part of those Pittsburgh Cups but that doesn't mean he fits what this team needs and like Patrick Kane huge name value player that doesn't mean he was a great value add for the Rangers same thing with Vladimir Tarasenko it's those kind of guys past their prime and look they're all different stages of their careers I'm not saying you know Kane and Tarasenko are exactly like Kessel would be right now but you know guys who are a little bit of past their primes who don't affect the game in that two-way sense anymore I just think the situation has to be exactly right for those guys to really move the needle for a a true contending team. And I don't think that situation exists here in in Vancouver. As you said, like, unless you're like, wow, we desperately need somebody to run our power play from the half wall. You know what I mean? Then you, okay, then go out and get Patrick Kane if you're a contending team. But if you've already checked that box, which the vast majority of contending teams have, of course, then you're just looking at really quickly diminishing returns. Yeah, you're... Well, I think what we're talking about is that, like, Tampa Bay Lightning special, right? Now, Mm. obviously, with Tanner Janot looming large in our imaginations, this deserves more qualifiers than it has in the past. But that, like, you know, whether it's Hagel, Gaudreau, Coleman, Coleman, or Paul, right? Like, that that type of, you know, in in most of those cases, too, it's like big-bodied, high-motor... A worker bee glue guy type yep. that's capable of complementing skilled players, um, you know, as high as the second line, like that. You know, in Hagel's case, the first line, um, and in Coleman's too, in my opinion, mm-hmm. right? Even though he he really was a third liner in in Tampa Bay, it's like that mold of player and some term um, on their contract. I think is, well, yeah, right in in all cases except Paul, um, they had term. Yeah, I mean that's that's the template. Although with the first round pick gone, Hard you know, to do. I, I don't know if you're I don't know if you're trading a pod Colson caliber guy like they better have a really attractive amount of term. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If you're considering that they better to be an actual long term fit even beyond uh, next year, probably for that uh, 650 650 Dumbar lumber text line. You can keep getting your thoughts in. Yeah, Dom, I was wrapping up the segment already because I know we have Yannick Hansen up next. So, of course. Of course I'm going to get out on time because I'm considerate like that. Yannick Hansen, former Canucks forward, joins the show next. We'll get his thoughts, the Lindholm trade, the debut, the stretch run for the Canucks, all of that and more with Yannick Hansen next here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance here on a Canucks game day. They're on the road in Carolina. We're live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. 
Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Yannick Hansen will join us in this segment uh, since there is no people show today. Dan and Sat will take over on Canucks Central directly after us and get you ready for the game at 4 o'clock. Uh, tonight and uh, just waiting for producer Dom here to get Yannick on the line. All right, he's still chatting away with them. So uh, I'll just mention again as somebody texts in, uh, is any chance Yannick Hansen ready to play this season? I mean, yeah, worker B, you know, defensively responsible, all that, all those traits that you were describing, uh, Drance, would be a pretty good fit on this team right now. And uh, right now, Yannick Hansen is ready to join us here. This Insider is brought to you by the Magnuson Otter Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. We go to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline, now joined by former Canuck Yannick Hansen. Yannick, thanks for doing this. How are you? Yeah, my pleasure. How are you? We're doing very well. We are uh, really excited uh, after a long delay in the the bye week and the All-Star break uh, for another Canucks game tonight. What was it like for you as a player coming back out of the All-Star break and trying to kind of hit the ground running for this final stretch of the season? Yeah, it, it, it's a little strange. Um, these breaks, this long, doesn't doesn't happen very often. So when they do happen, it's kind of like you're order out of whack for a little bit um, and then the game should start coming fast and furiously and you get the excitement because you can finally see see an end to the season if you will the playoff race uh, starts to shape um, so all those little things kind of come together now Um, but the first couple of games uh, is a little strange how difficult is it for a team in the position the Canucks are in, right? Near the top of the league, you know you're going to the playoffs, but there's still things on the line. You're still trying to win your division, you know, secure home ice advantage, all of those things. How hard is it to kind of just stay focused, manage your emotions leading into the playoffs for this final stretch of games? One day at a time. Um, that, that's kind of the thing. You, you can't. You can't look at the big picture yet. Um, that's why I said the, the, the excitement comes from being able to kind of see how things shapes out. Teams will become sellers, buyers. Uh, deadline will come and go. Um, that that's the exciting part because you know, like now, now it's uh, we're, we're we can kind of see the end of the the tunnel here. Um, so you're kind of just uh, head down and, and playing every other night in a perfect world, um, going through cities, playing your games, winning the games you need to, um, and then again, uh, sharpening your game uh, individually as a team uh, so that when the puck drops uh, for game one, you're, you're at your best. Yannick, is there a balance between keeping your focus, as you say, on just the routine and the eyes on the prize and making sure to enjoy the moment given sort of the opportunity that this team's given itself over the balance of the season? I think it's very, very hard to enjoy the moment. Um, mm-hmm. Looking back, I, I didn't enjoy the moments when we were really, really good. <laughs> uh, we just, uh, like I said, uh, another day, another dollar. Like, like we play another game and, and then we move on. And the wins in the regular season, truth be told, couldn't care less about them. Uh, they're nice to get, don't get me wrong, but you're pissed about losing. But it wasn't like you were celebrating and who and hawing when we, when we won a game. No, business as usual, let's move on to the next one. Um, so, so you kind of just uh, becomes very methodically when you go through it. Don't get me wrong, once playoffs started and we started uh, winning some games, it, it, it's a different thing. 
but the regular season, um, you're just one foot in front of the other. Uh, it's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. I know it's a lot of cliches, but but that that that's what it is because it is so hard mentally if you start. Um, worry and predicting what's going to happen all these things all these scenarios that's going to play out in your head and then it's going to it's going to mess with your game at the end so you try to keep it um, as narrow as you can your own game your own line your own team and let's just take care of that what we can control and then let's see once the calendar hits uh, April 10th 11th 12th where where we're sitting and who are we going to be playing Yannick, you were only traded at the deadline one time, but I'm curious to ask you this in the context of Elias Lindholm making his Canucks debut tonight. What are some of the challenges that a new player faces integrating with, you know, a, m- a more well-established group in midseason? The playing style. How are away yeah. you're used to playing versus the new team? And you can sit down with the coaches, with your lines, uh, X's and O's and all these things, um, and we're all smart hockey players, and we can all see it on a board, on a whiteboard, and drawn up where we need to go. Um, and that's all fine and well. Uh, the problem becomes when you're fatigued, when you're tired, when your pulse is uh, beating at a 200 beats per minute, um, then you don't, you're not thinking anymore. You're, you're just reacting, and you're reacting like you have for uh, a long time in your in your comfort of your how you've been playing. So Lindholm coming from Calgary, however they're playing, when he gets tired, when he's not thinking, you, you're just kind of playing the same style as you were, and that's where you can get drawn out of the uh, out of sync a little bit because now you're not you're not thinking, you're not remembering all those little things. Where is he going to be? Where am I supposed to be? Forechecking all these things. Um, uh, so it takes a little while before that settles and that becomes uh, routine for you. And that's where this trade um, they've made this year, even Sodorov and, and, and Lindholm now, like they have a long runway here to get adjusted to the style, uh, the systems, line mates, even something as simple as, hey, what, what am I, what am I going to call you when, when I want the puck from you on the ice? Mm. Um, it, it starts there and then it becomes, okay, I can't, I can't keep yelling your name. So like you start learning how did their voice sound like and what kind of little uh, noises do they man- make? Like Burns would bark on the ice. Like, like what's going on here? And that, that's how when he wanted to talk to you, he'd run around and bark. Uh, so you know where, where he was. So it's like it, it's these little things uh, that, that you – but it takes time. Um, uh, and again, the more time you have, the more you get situated and the better you should be for it. Is there anything that, uh, you know, the coach or the other players on the team can do to kind of speed up or facilitate that process? Or is it just simply a matter of practicing, playing those games, spending the time around the team and getting acclimated? That's what it is. It's no different than when we start the season and you guys, oh, how long is it going to take to adjust to a new coach in this new system? Can, can we speed a note? We can't. Mm-hmm. It takes practices. It takes Losses, it takes wins, uh, it takes weeks, it takes road trips, uh, all of those little that, that get you acclimatized. Um, and that's where you have 10 weeks now uh, or, or so to, to really get uh, get situated, get gelled, and then, and then hopefully uh, by the time the games really start to matter, uh, you're at your, at your peak. And from the other perspective, you know, when you're on a team that goes out and makes a trade at the deadline and brings in a player, and, you know, especially a player of the caliber of Lindholm who's expected to be in your top six, who's had some great individual seasons uh, in the very recent past here in the NHL, 
what does that do for for your mentality as a team going into the final part of the season? Well, it shows the management believe in you. As players, you always we always believe in ourselves. Uh, we we can win every game we line up. Uh, puck is round, ice is slippery. Um, so so you can win them. Uh, but but now management truly believe in us because they're going out and they're they're trading valuable assets, um, future assets, in order to make right now. Not two years from now, not three years from now. Like tomorrow, we're going to be better. Um, so so it's. Uh, it's a, it's a, what do you say, um, a, a seal stamp um, that you're getting as a team that hey that they believe in us now, um, and, and let's let's make a run of this because uh, we're getting all the help we could want. They might not be done, um, and, and you want the help because you're trying to trying to get your team pushed over the top and not just be a playoff team. Should never be the goal. The goal should be winning rounds. And, and I say that in plural because, like, if you go out in, in the conference final, I can I can live with that any year. Um, but but I don't want to just get into the playoff, play a first round, uh, and then be done, or, or once in a while sneak into a second round. No, that that's not. It's better than 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 majority in the league. But but the goal should be to win and to win it all. Uh, and in order to do that, you need to be uh, your team need to be lined up so it's not luck when you're winning. You would like to be the better team, so the other team has to do something out of the ordinary, something you don't expect of them. Somebody stepping up that you wasn't expecting in order for you to win a series, um, and that way tilting tilting it a little bit your way. Yannick, what what does it look like for? a player integrating into a new environment to be like having success, like not the stuff that's like a goal, two points, you know, whatever the plus minus looks like in game one, but sort of the little signs that a player is beginning to make progress, you know, over the course of their first, let's say five to 10 games. Production. Uh, production is where mm. it's going to, it's one of where it's going to fall, especially a guy like him. Uh, he's going to get an opportunity here to, to play with better players than he played with in Calgary for the last two years. Um, so production is a big thing. Does his line win his matchups? Uh, does he contribute on the specialty teams? All of those things that make where a player that's better than the player that are going out, is he making your team better because he's playing better as well? So, so you're looking at individual performance and then how it, it filters out through his line, uh, where he's, he's situated and all those things. And, uh, again, the, the better the better he plays, the quicker he gets situated. There's nothing worse than when a player gets traded and you're kind of faulting, kind of flickering a little bit. You're you're wondering, oh, did, did we make a mistake here? Maybe we should get stuck with it. Maybe we should have picked up another guy. Oh, he's not as good as we. All, all these things starts to creep in. They creep into line mates. They creep into the player that got traded, and it's just a bad scenario. So you want to see success. Uh, you want to see the guy contribute on an individual level uh, first and foremost, because then he gets comfortable, and the other players say, "Okay, he, he's making us better." Um, and then let let's see how he contributes now to a line and the team. Are we winning because of it and and stuff like this? But you, you need some, to see some individual growth. As you think about this Canucks season, you know, starting from the, those big wins over Edmonton and, you know, the seven-game win streak in October, um, did you see something different from this team in January? Did you think that this team was playing their best hockey of the year going into the break? 
you're always wondering, okay, when when is this going to fall off? Because we've been tricked so many times. Uh, they played well, but but they played well when they've been out. So it's like, well, is, is the bottom going to fall out? Are you going to revert back to? But it's their consistency. They they haven't cheated the game. They they kept playing the right way. Um, and they've been rewarded for it. Yeah, it, it's a better team than we've had the past couple of years. There's no question about that. Guys have stepped uh, forward, have taken steps forward. All the things we talked about in the off season, before the season, what needs to go right, that they have gone right for them, um, plus, plus. And that's why we're sitting where we are right now. Um, so I don't think anybody could have anticipated this. Um, but again, they've played very consistent this year. Uh we didn't really know anything about the first two wins against Edmonton, the first blow and stuff. What what's going on now? But but again, they they've just con- consistently continued to play well. They haven't had these long spells. Um, I remember early in the season they go into Philly and somewhere else and they lose a couple of ugly games. It was like, okay, is this it now? And they come right back and they start winning games. So they haven't had these five, six, seven game stretches where they've been, uh, to say it frankly, bad which is what they had in years past. Now they've corrected their mistakes really fast. They've been called out. They've been uh, chewed up in, uh, by coaches in the media, probably also behind closed do- doors. So they haven't been able to get away with the bad habits the same way maybe. Um, and therefore they've been able to get out of these ruts that would have maybe happened in past years a little bit quicker. Talking to Yannick Hansen here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. And, you know, one of the things we've heard from Rick Tockett over the last couple of days is, okay, so they have Lindholm in now, and he'll probably skate with Pedersen. You've got Miller and Besser who've been on a line together uh, for most of the year. And now you're looking for those kind of guys who can be the third pieces to those lines. And right now it's Mikheyev and Suter, but Tockett's been pretty open. Hey, there's jobs up for grabs here. You always think, okay, hey, it's so easy to play with an all-star player or a superstar player, but we know in practice sometimes it can be hard to find the guys that really click with the true high-end elite players. What what makes somebody the right fit to play next to a superstar player? <laughs> I wish I could. Uh, uh, I wish I could tell you that uh, recipe. Um, you, you know what? Truth be told, um, uh, we had two when I played. Obviously, the twins. Yeah. And and what they did, it was not what who came in. It wasn't like, oh, we need you to adjust to us. We need you to play like this. No, they were, you play the way you do, the way you are best, and we will fit our games to get the most out of that, mm. which sounds crazy. But but when they played with the big physical Bernier, Pyatt, uh, those type of guys, they played different than when they play with the smaller, faster players. When they played with Bird, they played a different game. They just adjusted and they got the most out of whoever they played with, made them the best, better player than they are. Um, and it's one of those things where, um, again, yeah, you need some pedigree in order to play with these guys, but, but they're going to make you so much better. And then again, then it's you're up to you to put it in the back of the net. They can only make so many backdoor passes that, that you miss before somebody else is going to get the chance. Um, but again, uh, that, that's, that's the biggest thing. The single biggest thing is that thing in your head like, hey, I, I got to score tonight. I have to score every night. Otherwise, I will not be here anymore. Uh, somebody else will get the opportunity because um, they're going to be here. They're going to make the place. They're going to set us up an opportunity to score. And when they do, you better bury down. Uh, and that is the hardest part is finishing off those chances 
because um, a lot of times we, we've seen a lot of guys, a lot of skill, but the problem becomes when it takes two, three, four chances mm. to score a goal versus boom, it's in, boom, it's in. Oh, I missed that one, but boom, the next one's in. Those are the ones that stays, the ones that can that can finish this off, that can in turn make them better too because you're able to finish all the passes they give you. Um, but, but you're able to, to, to put them away, and yeah, their stats will climb now uh, b- because they have a guy that will actually finish all the stuff they do uh, for them. Um, so again, going back to where it is, it, it's, it's your own ability to, to finish it off. Did, were there points in your career where you knew kind of, maybe it wasn't playing with a top player, but just, hey, if I don't produce here in the next week or so, I, I could be dropping down the lineup. Not that that's what's going on with, say, Ilya Mikheyev, but as I said, you know, Rick Toggett has said, hey, this is a big stretch, we're going to be watching. Were there points in your career like that where you kind of felt the pressure a little bit and knew, okay, I got to do something here to keep my spot in the lineup? Uh, for my first six years, I need to do something every <laughs> night to keep my spot in the lineup. Uh, then it become a little more secure, but but uh, again, when you're on the top line, it is scoring, it is winning. Um, that is the alpha omega. If you win, everybody's happy, and we don't tinker too much. Um, but but again, it it is like you have to live and play that way. Otherwise, you're not going to be in the NHL for very long. You, you have to fight for survival. Um, and uh, again, I truly believe that you play your your next shift that it's your last, you do that, then then you can't regret uh, if you get cut, if you get traded, if you get sent down, if you don't get a new contract. Um, so, so again, you're, you're almost wanting to play with that mindset. Um, but again, it, it, it's also hard mentally because every night you go in and you're not worried, but you're, you're on your tippy toes. Um, so again, later in my career, it was a lot more easier to, to walk around in between games and stuff like that. You're not as worried about where am I going to be three days from now and all these things. But again, my game earlier on when I were like that um, was definitely hungrier. Yannick, this team's got a lot of offense from their bottom six forwards over the course of the season. Have you noticed a change in what the hockey looks like right now versus when you played just based on the skill level that teams are sort of prioritizing putting on the ice on their third and fourth lines? The, the roles are out now. Uh, the, the defensive uh, shutdown lines aren't there anymore. Uh, the big physical guys, there's a couple of guys motoring around, but like I, I wouldn't put uh, Dakota Joshua in the same uh, in the same sentence as Darcy, Darcy Hardychuk and, and those players that we played with that had significant physical roles. Uh, now there, everybody has to be able to to play 15 minutes to be able to score. Um, so so it's a lot more skill, um, one to 12. Um, but again, you're 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 missing some of the. Uh, some of the spark once in a while where right right now it's very vanilla uh, you know what you're going to get it's good hockey players uh, they're skilled um, they've all scored goals in the past um, uh, but, but there's not a lot of difference uh, from first line to second line or fourth line in terms of how they play um, or how they played when they were younger um, they're just a little bit better now on the top uh, end of the lineup than they are at the bottom but, but they're in essence it's same type of player what challenges do you think that presents uh like defensively calibrated players in the league today i mean do these teams 
are these teams harder to shut down? Is that part of the reason, in your view, Vancouver's had the success they have this year? You can't because you don't have those players anymore. So now you have skilled guys mm. trying to shut down skilled guys. And that just doesn't work because the mindset is a little bit different. You're thinking offense instead of defense. Um, so you're wanting to go. You're, you're taking a step in, in the other direction. And sometimes um, you leave yourself a little bit vulnerable. Where um, When I was playing with Manny, for instance, like we, we wouldn't take any chances. We were three guys above the puck. If, if they mm. want an outman rush, outman rush, it's a four-on-three. We're, we're not going to give up a two-on-one. We're not going to give up a three-on-two. Um, and that way you have to go through more guys. That's why it's easier to shut down the lower scoring. Where right now, a lot of teams or players, and I know the teams and the coaches aren't happy about it, but sometimes players in that mindset are happy with, you get a two-on-one, I get a two-on-one. That's a good trade-off. I like my chances with that. High scoring, everybody's happy, stats getting passed and stuff like that. Um, but, but that's the biggest thing in the roles. And again, you're talking about shutting down. These players that you're asking to play shutdown hockey now in the bottom six have never done it before. So they have to be taught this at a very high level right away. And, and, and it's not that easy to change a player's mindset in terms of how he's approaching the game, what he's thinking first and foremost. And it's making sure I don't get scored on. No, they're used to thinking, you know, oh, I got to go offense go 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 maybe a chip this puck and i can be gone on an Ottman rush where all of a sudden you're nine old dude let's just get it out let's just get it deep um it doesn't it, it takes time and it takes adjustment yannick really appreciate the time as always thanks for doing this we'll talk again soon yeah my pleasure take care that is yannick hansen former canuck joining us here on canucks talk uh, i'm ready to run through a wall man play every shift play the next shift like it's your last stay hungry great insight from yannick hansen on a lot of different things including you know he's seen it from both perspectives right the team at the top of the standing going out and acquiring players or being the team that it, another team goes out and adds at the deadline and trying to acclimate into a new team on the fly including learning that brent burns barks for the puck when he's out there on the ice <laughs> amazing <laughs> Well, do you remember Brent Burns as a forward? Yes, of course. I love I loved it because he'd do like this almost like rebel yell when he was mashing defensemen on the forecheck. <laughs> it looked like the scariest thing I'd ever seen. Like I was just like, oh my god, <laughs> that looks terrifying. Yeah, Brent Burns uh, has looked pretty terrifying. In a very, I'm just oh, looking yeah. at his uh, scrolling through his hockey DB pictures, and there's some gems. There's some absolute gems from Brent Burns over the years. But uh, I mean, I thought that was legitimately fascinating, though. Like right down to as simple as how do I call for the puck on this team on the ice? Right? Like, what does this guy's voice sound like? How do I how do I recognize his his ticks and his kind of idiosyncratic <clears throat> things on the ice? We, we talk about the kind of high-level fit for players, but that really detail-oriented thing is something we don't consider. And when you think about it in those terms, you know the point of giving every extra game, every extra practice you can give a player to get comfortable with the team can make a huge difference. Yeah, the sensory experience that goes into making split-second decisions yeah. at the NHL level, right? I mean, it's... Uh... <laughs> it's it's finely tuned without question 
Um, and good context, I think, for all of our listeners to bear in mind as we watch Lindholm make his Canucks debut yep. against Carolina this evening. Yeah, it's a good point. It will be the first Canucks game for Elias Lindholm tonight. They're taking on the Carolina Hurricanes, of course, full game day coverage here on Sportsnet 650, including the call with Batch and Randeep coming up at four. But before that, it's Canucks Central and then the pregame show with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. We'll be back tomorrow to break down the game, so keep it locked right here on Sportsnet 650.